This Week on the Digital Desk Podcast. Today we have a lovely guest. Um, my name is Kat, I'm, um, and I'm currently a PhD student at Queen's University. I learned about dark tourism in my undergrad. I'm like, this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Dust Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Liz. And I'm Patrick. <laughs> yep. Don't even know what that one was. You know? And today Happy we... New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Happiest Year. of New Year's. And today we have a guest instead of our lovely Robin. Yeah, we replaced you. her actually. This we is our new her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this Robin who? Yeah. No. <laughs> We love her. She's coming back, hopefully, soon. We wish her well. Instead, today, we have a lovely guest. Kat, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Happy New Year's, guys. Very excited to be here. Um, my name is Kat. I'm actually the, a public, from the public history program a year before you guys. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm currently a PhD student at Queen's University, and I've come here to kind of talk about my experiences bringing public history into a PhD and potentially showing maybe why someone might choose to continue down academia. And we'll talk about yeah. this, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in public history, because yeah. one of the things that, that folks I'm sure have heard us talk about at length on this podcast is that public history is what you choose when you want to leave academia, when you want to go and, and bring history to the public and, and uh, often not go into a PhD. So it will be interesting to, to have that sort of side of, of what public history is. So. Yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of us public historians who are in academia, like, also realize that history and, ac- like, academic history needs more public history. Oh, yeah. So I feel like, Kat, you're on the front lines. Oh, like, absolutely. Keeping those historians in check. That's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was just going to ask a very basic <laughs> question because I don't even know the answer, which is, what is what are you researching? What is your PhD on? Yeah, mm. so, I mean... Anybody that is doing a PhD will tell you what I tell you right now is not what's going to be what I hand in in like <laughs> four or five years. Uh, but currently what I really want to do is I'm looking at tourism, specifically dark tourism, the development of heritage or institutions um, to become tourist sites that might have a darker history and how this might um, impact and shape uh, the memory and understanding of said history. So. For me, being from Kingston, I'm really interested in Kings Penitentiary, a place that many people didn't want to live near. Now people are paying top dollar to go inside and hear stories from former guards and stuff like that. So I'm very interested in the process of the public's understanding and how memory has been shaped over time by tourist companies, by media, all that kind of stuff. Kat, why did you, um, why did you decide to do a PhD? Coming from someone who mm-hmm. also constantly considers going and getting a PhD. Yeah, so um, I guess one of, I'm going to be honest and totally say one of the main reasons I'm too scared to get in an adult job. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I really like, I really, really like school. Um, and I think um, completing half of my master's um, through a global pandemic online really showed that I still want to do this because I got through it. And I'm like, okay, if you can get through doing your master's in a global pandemic, you can do a PhD no matter how long it takes you. Uh, but secondly, I've always loved um ever since i started my history career i've always loved connecting with the community um, and making things accessible to the community that's why i went and did a public history masters to gain those skills and work on cool projects like that um and i was always hated that like any like 
text or book or article I read um, in my undergrad was always so dense and complex. Like I couldn't give it to my dad for him to understand, despite the fact that mm. he, he like he enjoys history to a degree. As <laughs> he kind of gets mad sometimes how long I might ramble on about it, but <laughs> he couldn't understand. Like he might not be able to understand a lot of the jargon that's used or the theory that's used, and. I don't like that either, even though I understand the theory and understand the jargon. I like making things so accessible and interesting. Like, I want people to be interested in the history. And so maybe it's a big dream and I'll never accomplish it, but I really would love to be able to bring some of that into academia, especially coming from a public history standpoint, Um, working more with the community while doing a dissertation, bringing their insights into a dissertation, making it collaborative. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel. We have to apply to SHRC, which is, I'm don't, oh, Social Sciences, like Humanities Research Council for grant funding, right? And they asked about contributions. And I'm like, oh, I have not written a single article. I don't have a book. But I've now for the third time been on a podcast. I have been invited to speak on conferences. I got to speak to your class when you guys were doing dark tourism, which was so exciting. Um, oh, yeah. And I have also created like a digital online exhibit for Banting House. And I've helped with some of your guys' projects as well. But they don't really recognize that. But I put it down anyway, because I'm like, these are my, like, I think these are important. And I think this is yeah. the way that history might, like the history field might be moving towards. And I think it definitely is in certain schools. Um, so like I'm put it down anyway, whether they acknowledged it or not, I do not know. <laughs> I didn't get it, which is okay. I'll apply again next year. But I think it's important. Like I think it's great that you guys are doing this and allowing um, your friends and other researchers come on because it is a great opportunity, um, and it looks really good on a resume as well. <laughs> I will say that's one of the things I don't think I ever want to do a PhD. But one of the things that like really held me back from even considering it is that I've never written anything that's been published and so like I think that is something that really especially for public historians holds us back Mm. I have a question um so I so what I find interesting is obviously there's a really frustrating um division between public history and what would be called academic history which is you know just very patronizing to, to public history in a lot of ways but uh, for someone for someone uh, in your position, Kat, where you're doing a PhD in history, but it's also public history and you're in this academic world, um, what experiences have you had with that sort of, like whether frustrating or, or affirming that that sort of difference that people make between public history and non-public history or whatever? And, and how do you see public history as working within universities and sort of a more academic structure to research working in a more public setting? Like, how do you see them sort of in, informing each other, essentially? As for experiences, like Queens doesn't have a public history master's or PhD. It's just me personally saying that this is going to be public history and I'm everyone else is going to have to deal with it. That's amazing. That's <laughs> um, phenomenal. I'm very glad that like my supervisor is very interested in it too. So very encouraging. She's very encouraging about it. And I love my supervisor so much. She's great. Um, and I, I lucked out. Um, I actually had way more of that kind of friction and tension between what my class called mainstream, the mainstream guys, <laughs> the public nice. history students at Western, believe it or not, than I have so far at Queens. Um, could, this could be a time difference because uh, like Patrick, I also did the 16th month program. So I had the really weird between January, 2020 and like September 20 or 21, January, 2021. And then September, 2021, I was not in school. So maybe something during that time changed I don't know um but here so far it's been 
great. Um, but there, I mean, there's no public history grad classes. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. go and like, you know, some of the mainstream uh, history guys could go and take some of the public history courses if they weren't like the restricted ones. Right. Which is nice to, for them to be able to like museology, I think is one that we had some mainstream uh, history students go into and they loved it and enjoyed it um, here. Not so much, but I made sure to bring public history uh, where I could. And I remember um, this past uh, semester in my 20th century Canadian history class, one of the first readings we did was actually talking about public history um, and then the tensions about that. And I had brought up this, like, I don't think that the author maybe understood or knew just how bad it was. Like, I don't remember if Michelle ever told you guys that public historians are viewed as the second class citizens of history, oh, that yeah. like quote from that book. And I had mentioned that um, and we had a great conversation about it, but it seems to be welcomed here so far, but maybe I haven't met people who <laughs> have resisted You haven't met it. the pretentious ones yet. Is this... <laughs> I'm very lucky that um, one of my friends who's also being, su- has the same supervisor is interested in public history, um, but looking at like statues um, and then like public commemorations were, so like the study of public history um, how the public like displays its history. And then I'm like, oh no, I want it oral, oral interviews. Like I want to do surveys, like get me out in the community. I'm, I'm talking to people, which is really cool. Cause we can like, I can teach him something. He can teach me something kind of thing. Um, so far it's very welcomed. Um, there's public history undergrad classes, but I, I think Queens needs more. Like this is the reason I actually did end up going to Western. Queens doesn't have public history. Right. And I couldn't yeah. see myself living in Ottawa. <laughs> So, oh. so London, Ontario was the way to go. And I'm very grateful. <laughs> you couldn't see yourself living in Ottawa, but London, Ontario, that's where it's at. I that's... back that. Ottawa London, scary. Ontario over Ottawa any day. Ottawa is very scary. It's too much for me. That's true. That's true. Uh, Every time Robin's not on this podcast, we just like rag on Ottawa. <laughs> I can't say much being from Kingston. But I did <laughs> really go. like living in London. And I loved my time at Western. I don't regret it at all. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So you have done four months. You're in your fifth month, I guess I'll say. Yeah. That makes sense? Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Matt, you know what? Time is irrelevant, okay? It's a social no, contract. We're not getting into this again, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So you're in your first year of your PhD. What's one thing that you have experienced that you expected and one thing that you didn't expect? Can I be cheesy and say I didn't expect to go back online? (laughs) (laughs) Really? And then I I get the email in December. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do seminars like this. Um, online, but we're we're gonna find out this week, I guess. But one thing I expected is it's hard. Um, it's not easy. I knew that going into it, and I remind myself every day um, to not be cheesy. One thing I didn't expect because I'm such like an over I'm like overachiever. Like grades are like my like oh, um, is like failing. I didn't fail a class or anything, but I did not pass my language exam, um, and that really did me in and. But then I started talking to other like people and like other like staff members who said, yeah, or, you know, maybe I didn't do well in my first year either. Like if you fail, it's okay. It's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. You will Mm -hmm. get to the finish line. Um, And it's way more important that you finish and are happy with what you've done rather than being the quickest to the finish line. 
So it's okay if you get knocked down. Um, and it's something that I've never, I've never been knocked down before. So that was like a really hard lesson to learn. Um, but like, I think it's made me even more passionate because now I'm like, okay, I can be knocked down. Um, I probably will be knocked down again. Um, but I'm going to keep doing this anyway, because school makes me happy talking about tourism. Um, tourism history makes me happy. I love my classmates so much. They make me happy. My friends make me happy. So I'm going to keep going for it and doing it. Mm. Nice. That's really cool. And having that lovely Dr. Cat McDonald's. <gasps> Cannot oh, wait. Such a nice My family does not huge deal. Stop reminding me I'm gonna be the first person in the family with a doctorate. So everyone's like, Can't wait for you to get the doctorate and I'm like, Oh, that's a pressure I don't know if I want right now, but <laughs> <laughs> Well <laughs> Now I have to see through it no matter how long it takes. Yeah. <laughs> That is one of the nice things, I guess, about, like, PhD, because even, like, I don't know if it was just our program, but, like, a lot of MAs, it's still, like, two years, and then you're done. Whereas with PhD, it's a lot. You can really take your time with it more. You can do as much or as little as you want. You can take What's on a five couple extra years. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's fine. <laughs> but at least, like, I know, like, one of my good friends, uh, Aaron, is in the PhD program at Western right now for history, and, um, like there's certain things that are so cool about it like she just finished all her like comps so like comparative studies and stuff which i had no idea even existed until like she's like oh yeah i've got my doing this comps meeting and blah, blah. i'm like what what is this um but it's also like i also realized like they get so much funding <laughs> like the fact that you can like basically live like pretty well we got a lot of funding in our undergrad or not undergrad in our masters and i was like as soon as <laughs> There was no more funding and we had to go into the real world. I was like, I have no money. <laughs> so that's, that is a nice, a nice thing too. Like PhD, I feel like is a little bit more like acknowledged as like, this is your job, you know, like mm. school is your job. Kind it's of your job. life. Yeah. Yeah. But don't make it everything. Like, don't yes, make it everything. Don't make like, it your I, whole personality. It is, you have to literally, <laughs> and I got this great advice from actually, it's from a um, teaching fellow who taught an upper year seminar for me in my undergrad, who we're still in contact with. He reaches out anytime he sees me like, where I'm venting on Twitter how much I'm struggling <laughs> he's like you know it's okay here's some advice um it's a nine to five you must treat it like a nine to five it cannot become your 24 hours unless I say unless it's a, you know final papers <laughs> then everything's out the window <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah and I mean it's only first year that we're doing classes anyway so I'm sure in the next couple of years I will be making it very much a nine to five but you need time to not think of history or not think of whatever you're doing or whatever classes mm. you're on to go just mindlessly scroll through TikTok, right? Like every, every day at like five <laughs> o'clock, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going on TikTok for an hour. I'm making dinner. I'm going to bed, you know, That's self-care, great. right? Self-care. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it Boundaries is important, important to note that with funding for PhD, um, depending on the school, they might only fund you for the first four years. And then you struggle. You might struggle. You need to secure it. That's why shirk is so important, and you, you got to keep applying to it if you don't get it or other um, grants. I'm lucky. I got two awards um, in Canadian history going into this, so I did get like a, a lot of money. Or at least I think it's a lot of money yeah. <laughs> compared to my master's funding. So it is. Absolutely. I am living more comfortably than I was like in my master's sort of thing, and that's really nice. That's not great. have to worry about that i do work still mm. so but that's because i just really want to work i'm working at the museum of ontario archaeology still <laughs> yeah i'm Very back cool. for my that place. my third contract with them actually i know i love it so much yeah 
I'm going to be really sad that I can't go back. Um, but that's more because I'm just like, I like it. I'm having fun. I'm learning skills. Um, and I don't want to leave it more than I need the money, right? The money's nice mm. to have, yeah. though. Yeah. It it's also savings. nice to like have another job, you know, to be like, oh, this is the job I need to be doing right now. Focus all my energy there and not think about school and stuff. I've also been able to like talk about my experiences working at a museum in some of these classes, which have hopefully, you know, enlightened people who may not have worked in heritage, in museums, um, that kind of stuff. So that's also been really cool to be able to mm-hmm. bring those experiences and what I do into the classroom as well. Mm. Uh, I was just, well, I was curious about sort of if we're talk- talking about the sort of school environment and a PhD is a very long commitment and you're focusing on one project that whole time, and all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas sort of the, the more traditional right with public history is you're working on, on like a lot of projects at once or you do projects for a little bit of time and that sort of thing and um, have a bit more variety. Um, I suppose very broadly, uh, could you speak to the benefits or, or the, the really the the, the good reasons why a PhD in public history or a PhD in history with a public history focus um, is really beneficial and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't focus on just one thing. Like I am doing other side projects, but hopefully in the long run, they kind of like blend together. So they're kind of, it's a dialectical mm. relationship where like, for instance, I have a blog that is not launched yet, but will have a blog that kind of disseminates my research. We're talking about cool. asylum tourism, prison tourism, and that sort of stuff. So that it is, if my dissertation cannot be accessible language-wise which it may not be just because of the theory that i need to cover and just because of the some of the like foucault i don't even know how to make foucault that digestible <laughs> to the, the average person talking about on this podcast if you're talking about how hot he is but if you're talking about prisons oh. and stuff foucault is the creme de la creme oh true Ooh. yeah he's <laughs> really so important for prison discipline, discipline and punish the panopticon oh i just so had good. to read that for a they're <laughs> always paper. watching and because Kingston Penitentiary actually does have a Panopticon in it too, so that's. Are you serious? Yes, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That Fuck. Victorian aesthetic. <laughs> they read their Foucault, and they were like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> yeah, I'll will have to send you guys a picture. I have tons of pictures from the inside of the prison. I'll have to send them to you guys. But yeah, oh they do. <laughs> so that's Damn. why it's also really important when talking about Kingston Penitentiary and its past to read that, um, and how he influenced not only the writing of the prison history but also how we even come to view discipline and power and punishment in prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I'm also going to be ArcGIS, which you guys, I don't know if Tim got you guys oh, to do yeah. a little bit of that, yeah? I'm but be... in case the listeners don't know. Um, so ArcGIS is a really cool software that allows you to um, map things on a digital map, and it could you could be tracking a person, you could be tracking, like I, for my project for Tim's class, I was tracked my family's um, immigration from... Uh, France in like the 1600s to uh, what was Acadie now modern day like New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. So I got to track my family's history, which is really cool. Um, and then you're able to take those maps and put them into like really cool creative um, like story journals and story maps that allow you to write a story and interact with the map. Um, it, that's like probably not even like the greatest explanation of what the software is. I suggest that everyone go check it out because I think it's a really cool software, especially if any research you do is involving a person over time, over different places, or just you really like maps. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll be mapping. Maps cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, maps are super cool. But I'll be mapping the dark tourist sites in Kingston and hopefully using oh, the story neat. map to be able to show it over time and its development into a tourist site. Um, so those are smaller projects. I'm also thinking of actually starting my own podcast. 
Uh, <laughs> you guys inspired me. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, because one thing I miss from Western is the like hearing uh, like PhD students and MA students speak on their research. Um, that's not so much a big thing that I've seen so far here at Queens. It's mostly been visiting scholars, which absolutely loved. Um, sure. It's really, really interesting. But I also like want to hear more about my classmates who maybe the classmates I don't speak to on a regular basis. Um, and so I want to, would love to start a podcast that allows them the opportunity, A, because getting on a podcast, putting on a resume, again, looks really, really cool to be able to speak about your research. Um, and then I just think it's important that they have a space to share that if they so wish to share that. Totally. Especially for PhDs, like, I think it's really important to be able to speak to an audience and, like, not be so pedantic and just speak very plainly about your research. And, oh, yeah, and podcasts are so great for that. It's yeah. almost a bit of a challenge sometimes to, like, oh, make sure, sure that it all flows yeah. and it makes sense. But, yeah. yeah. And then it's oh. not four hours long. And... and it's not four hours long. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about the research that you're doing, Kat, um, is that, um, I will, well, I mean, what I find kind of interesting about public history in general as well is that um, there is a side of public history where you study the public history itself, right? Like you would study museums or, or in your case, uh, dark history tourism and that sort of thing. I think that's really neat because it, I feel like there's a pitfall you might fall into with public history of thinking uh, of these institutions as just sort of like objective places, but they are they are fallible and they are things that can be subject to analysis and, and criticism and all that sort of stuff. And so what's really neat, uh, especially with, with what you're doing about sort of trying to bring in the communities and, and, uh, and, and the public into your research is, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for you here, but what it sounds like what you're doing is, is, is uh, sort of like looking at how we view prisons and pop culture in some ways, or at least historically how we view prisons in, in terms of uh, uh, tourist sites and what that means about like us as people and how, how that's, that, that's kind of telling about who we are as people. And perhaps uh, different ways that that those places could be interpreted as historic sites, or or that sort of thing as well. So I think that's really really neat. Is this way to, to analyze these places and and um, criticize and analyze and analyze them in certain ways, I suppose. Well, it is so. It's so. It's so much. It's so much fun. It. I love. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I'm like the. I'm like the person who was like eight years old. My dad took me to a Rockwood Asylum. He's like, this. You like ghost stories? Here you go. Here's Rockwood yes. Asylum. You know, that and like sick. I've grown up, just I like would love to work for um, Haunted Walks Kingston. So the Haunted Walks. Uh, oh, I did it, and it. I did it best, too. The best Haunted Walk ever. So is good. Kingston. Well, it's so I've good. done it's the OG Ottawa. Too. I've done a couple other. It's yeah, it's the OG. I've done Ottawa, Niagara on the Lake, a couple mm. others, but that one, like, oh, oh. that's so like. Okay, I have a very weird um, <laughs> side story. So that one was amazing, but also. You could tell that we were in a university town because we were right outside. Um, is it Bellevue House? And right, we're right across the street. She's talking about it. Whatever, talking about the history. And out of nowhere, there's like this. There's like this graveyard kind of beyond it. And then out of nowhere, she's talking about the graveyard. And like out of nowhere, these guys cut like. Well, this one guy comes out of the bush and he's like a university kid in nothing but a speedo holding a glass of white wine in one hand and then a corn of the cob in the other. And he's <laughs> so drunk. And his friends, you can like hear them behind the bush like snickering and he just walks into the circle and he's like, hey guys, what's up? And I'm just like, what the hell? The tour guide was like, we're going to move across the street. Yeah. It's just the weirdest thing ever. She's oh, telling a ghost story and this like guy in a speedo just walks that. up. Anyway. 
Sorry. That sounds Tan- terrifying. Very tangential, but <laughs> I, yeah. gonna, I thought you were gonna tell me like you saw a ghost or something because they're always like you saw see a ghost. Like no, the one was the um, the parking lot where they used to um, where they used to execute people. Oh, like the parking lot was... in the courthouse. Yeah, yeah, and she was like, "Oh, you see the dips in the pavement? Those are those are like bodies. That's where the bodies are buried. It's all the you're like, oh my god, I'm standing on top of." someone that's been like paved over or that the like i have no the, idea if it's the true. house across the street where it has the little sunroom with all the windows yes. and so he built it so his wife could watch the public executions without like having yeah. to oh i'm yeah i don't know the. and i, I think people historical... say that they see her too right i think they see her in the window or something but oh, it's like, oh. yeah that's spooky. so spooky kingston kingston <laughs> is great for dark history yeah if you're, if you're into that highly recommend mm-hmm. what's actually really cool about haunted walks is actually a bunch of history graduate students from queens who put that together really yeah oh, sweet. so that's talk cool. about public history um you know sometimes <laughs> i don't know how much they do have like historical researchers and then when they tell the story i understand that it's probably not going to be 100 percent historically accurate because history's not always that spooky <laughs> you kind of need to play it up a little bit the best one is the fort henry because you have the added element of like going through the tunnels and yeah, being claustrophobic and not, bats not and okay rats that. and <laughs> that was too much for me. I did that one. It was so much. It was so scary. <laughs> oh, I love it. I also worked there for Fort Fright, which is also another kind of tourism, but it's not the historical side, but it's using a historical backdrop. It's fright mm-hmm. tourism, so people are specifically seeking out experiences to scare themselves. And it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be historic of any nature, like but like Canada wonders, Canada's Canada Wondersland. Nope. What Canada's Wonderland? It wonders. <laughs> Where's the, the land? It, is it like the haunt or something? It's called the haunt. Yeah, yeah. Halloween haunt. Or Halloween something haunt. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my dream is to go to Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, I don't. Anything that like people come up and can like chase you or touch you? No. Or, nope. Nope. <laughs> I, I don't even cat. let people go up the stairs behind me. I'm so scared of being chased. I'm like, no. Nope. We can't. You chase mean in you like touch general you, life? Yeah. I, know, I know they can't, but they get so close to you sometimes, and you're like, oh. It's so scary. Wait, you know that people walk up behind you in stairs, like, in your life? Yeah. I genuinely, like, don't like it. I'll be like, that sounds like judgment, Katie. It is judgment. <laughs> it is, or even just, like, people, like, in the car, someone's driving behind you too closely. I'm like, oh, my God, I better drive faster. <laughs> anyway. Uh. <laughs> Social anxiety. I mean, you're things, vulnerable but... with your back turn, so. <laughs> so yeah. Like... Exactly. <sighs> but yeah, I've always yeah. been interested in ghost stories and stuff like mm. that. And so it just kind of developed and I learned about dark tourism in my undergrad in the public history, actually the public history seminar. And I'm like, this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and yeah. I think Kingston promotes it because they're very like, oh, one of the oldest towns, first capital like one of the most haunted cities in um, just because of how long we've been around, um, but does not ever name that, like that we're using this in a specific way that we're casting an asylum where really horrible things happen and people suffered and are still stigmatized um, that we're kind of making this spooky. And it's not just the city that does this. It's like tour companies who are operating with permission from the city to bring Mm -hmm. tourists to these sites. Um, and so that's what I'm also looking at because it, obviously narratives and interpretations are constructed for very specific purposes and very specific reasons. So like the narratives at Kingston Penitentiary aren't going to paint guards and wardens in a very negative light because they're using real guards and wardens who work there. 
right. who are lovely. The ones I've met are very lovely, but we they can't they don't talk a lot about the prisoner side and they use the I'm sorry to say the excuse that you know we can't talk about the prisoners because there is a law that says you can't talk about prisoners who are alive okay but there are prisoners who said they would volunteer to right. to share their stories which then you know then kind of overrides that or like there's a, sure. a trolley company I don't know if I've, you've been on the trolley here in Kingston I've been on it too many times <laughs> every single time we go by the penitentiary doesn't matter if i was on the ghost and mystery trolley doesn't matter if i was on the regular trolley um i don't even want to say his name but you know like bernardo bernardo like this is where all these bad people live. i was like what let's talk about the donnelly's the donnelly's were here let's talk about really? them and they, yeah two of them two, two, cool. two of them were i can't remember which ones well, yeah, probably the dad and one of the sons. I think it was the dad. Don't ask me what, <laughs> what <laughs> it was. But yeah, I believe two of them were there. Um, not for long from what I can recall. But then there was also like an eight-year-old boy there. An eight-year-old boy who I believe was a pickpocket from Montreal was housed there with grown men who probably, who probably really did deserve to be there. So to then, you know, fast forward to 2019, September, they hold a rock concert in the on the grounds. And it was giving me very much, are we going to have weddings there next? Like, what else are we doing there? There's been rumors Yikes, that yeah. um, they might start bringing haunted walks in there. Um, or not necessarily the haunted walks, but some kind of ghost walk right. or doing something similar to Fort Bright. And I don't know how much of this was ever true or just, like, rumors. Talk. Just talk. Like, Alcatraz. Alcatraz totally does that. And they make so much money. And so I'm sure they'd want to be the Canadian Alcatraz. Well, we also, it's a lot, there's a good comparison between, um, it's the penitentiary in uh, Pennsylvania, who I also believe, I think, does some kind of Halloween ghosty tour as well. And so I, another thing I really want to do is compare Kingston to other notable, like, either cities or, like, comparison, like, this asylum and Kingston's asylum, very similar, and are going in a very similar direction. What are the causes mm -hmm. for this development? Is it a trend in society? Is it a trend, you know... Mm. wherever or yeah. or cities what are the effects like, of it yeah um and that's more probably side it's probably not gonna be the main thing of my dissertation but i'm just genuinely like i want to know <laughs> personally want to know and then put it on my blog probably so i want to travel sure. to different cities and different places and i'm gonna have to participate in dark tourism um critically at least at least very critically um that is interesting but, yeah, yeah experience these and then come back and investigate trends and historical shifts and stuff like that Oh, yeah. So cool. I was listening to um, the radio yesterday, and they had the radio station put out an ad from the first person perspective of someone who's been incarcerated for drunk driving. And he's like, Oh, what am I doing here? I have a wife and two kids that love me, and all these people in here are animals that just scream and, and like make all these, these yeah. smells so bad. And I was like, mm. I really, I still might do it. I really wanted to call him and be like, That is so. Like, do you not understand Horrible. that the people who are incarcerated are not animals, like, and who are unhygienic? Like, it was just like, I understand that you're trying to appeal to a certain person about, like, you wouldn't, like, don't drink and drive if you don't want to end up in that situation. But, like, that's, like, I feel like that's where things, when yeah. we start to, you know, like, lighten that history of, um, or even just, like, depolit not I guess depoliticize it, we're, like, mm -hmm. more of just, like, ooh, you know, it was a good time, or, oh, things happened and it was okay. Like, the thing is that, like, 
all the politics behind asylums and detention centers and all that kind of thing, like so much of it is still continuing. If you look at George Floyd, obviously, and and not just in America, but in Canada as well, a disproportionate amount of people, indigenous people, um, people of color are incarcerated. And it's just like so sad that that's still mainstream, that that's just like you can talk about it like they're animals in a cage and no one seems to bat an eye. Oh, that rem- Another tangent, sorry. No, that, no, that, that reminds me of my experience on the ghost. I feel so bad, like, throwing all these places under the bus because, like, I've worked with them. I've, like, they're lovely people, and I'm just here to perhaps give a different perspective, like, a critical perspective. Sure. Um, but I, we went to Rockwood, which is one of the features, and it's one of the very popular features of the trolley, Ghost and Mystery Trolley Tour. And I just remember him kind of lining us up. There's, like, it's, like, it's a very big building on the water. It's kind of out of sight from the main road. They like, can't really see it. And um, there's reasons for that um, when it with its construction. But um, it's just the big main front entrance. It's all like um, fenced up. You can't go to it because of, I'm going to put in scare quotes, as- asbestos. I don't know how much I believe a lot of the stuff that the city of Kingston tells us, but they don't want people mm. in there, but that doesn't stop people because this is why it's important. So he kind of points our attention up to the very, very top window. Um, and he's like, up on the top window, the words help are written and goes into this long, elaborate story about how this person, this former patient, doesn't even give us a year or anything, what decade, what's, what century that this was happened. Um, just said that this person wrote help and then jumped out a window and landed right where we were. Which, first of all, is like, oh, I, I don't feel like I don't want to be standing where somebody died. That feels very disrespectful. But then I'm like, okay. The asylum was closed in 2000, opened briefly again for other purposes, but it closed permanently in 2003. It is 2019, yes, yeah, 2019. Um, how could, no, depending on when this is done, how could the help still be written there? Because a lot of these windows are broken and we can see like the curtains moving, so wind is obviously going through there. It is like also one of the most like sought-after urban exploration sites. But we didn't even think about the possibility that it was probably an urban explorer who went and did that to trick um, other people or, you know, whatever. And probably not even an urban yeah. explorer. Probably, like, a bored teenager on, like, a Saturday night. Like, I, should, I shouldn't, like, paint or urban explorers with a broad brush like that. But it was probably not a patient. But the fact that we couldn't even be told what century, what decade mm-hmm. that this happened makes me believe that that probably didn't happen and then we're also like that's like really gross to talk about um people who were housed there like that and they don't ever give a lot of context historical context to why were asylums created why was kingston asylum created right because it was um built by and for the first like couple years for um the criminally insane so those were people from king's penitentiary who could no longer be housed at king's penitentiary because they're you know, deemed criminally insane, and then opened up as a provincial prison later on, um, or the treatment of like of people who were housed there. A lot of times, people who were housed there didn't, you know, didn't actually need to be there. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, but there was no like, and I'm maybe I'm expecting too much for a tour company to give historical critical analysis. But we're when Kingston's slogan is where history and innovation thrive. I expect some historical context sure. and then you have my friends who i'm like yeah by the way i, I don't think that's uh, actually what happened here's probably what actually happened <laughs> i always feel you bad because i'm always talking and i'm sure they think i'm very excited and i'm just like by the way 
it's actually not this, it's this, and you can't do this, and don't call it this. Um, so I just, we, we drove by um, Sir John A. Macdonald's statue, which was already taken down, and it was just the pedestal in City Park. Yeah. All, the, all he said, yep, there was a statue there. I'm like, well, we can talk, we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't be afraid. to say that okay. there was a statue there, because people are going to be like, well, why? Why, why is it gone? I think there's some responsibility for, and I don't blame the employee because the employee's been giving a script that they oh, they yeah. have to follow to a certain extent. They'll adapt it, but these tour companies, and I know they don't care about responsibility and respect, and most of the times, um, and but I'm like, I'm gonna change their mind. I will make them change their minds. Well, Cat, I <laughs> I have one more question, and then I think we will probably wrap it up because I want to keep you for over an hour uh but i guess what are you what are you most excited about or i guess what's next for you in your phd mm. journey yeah so it's actually gonna be comps so <laughs> yeah. um so looking forward to that um i think the one thing i'm looking forward to actually is that queens allows their uh, phd students to actually create and run their own seminars in their upper years for upper years and that's how i got the um the one um researcher who I still talk to is he had created this course in his upper year of his PhD and I'm like I want to make a tourism in Canada course so bad so bad and that's like my goal they'll let me do it I really want to teach I miss teaching more than anything and oh yeah one last thing I want to clarify for people I am aware that the academic job market is not is non-existent there's not even saying it's just abysmal it's non-existent um and I'm more than open and willing and everyone who is pursuing a PhD should be open and willing to looking through other avenues and this is why I think PhD public history courses would be beneficial because they can learn the skills to be like hey, I've decided I'm going to go to a museum or I'm going to go to an archive or I'm going to do that and for me it's if I can't do it I'm going to become a teacher or teach in some capacity whether high school sure. or, or university or at a community center or in a museum I don't know but I, my passion is teaching people and getting people excited about history. So I'm looking forward to that in my upper years. Um, and then it's just sitting down and doing all this research and getting to visit all these sites and learn more and speak to the Kingston community and see who's saying what, what's happening. Let's chat about this. I want to hear your opinion, whether it's good, bad, or neutral. And I'm really excited to conduct uh, oral interviews, oral history interviews. Yeah. Nice. So great. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, yeah. Kat. We will have Kat's socials down below so you can follow her, and especially you'll probably want to follow her so you can keep uh, keep an eye out for her blog and maybe a podcast. I also, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. like speaking for all of us here, we would also love to have Kat back to talk more about dark tourism. Maybe like yeah. Halloween next year, especially would be very fun. Mm-hmm. I know um, when we were in our program, Kat came and talked to our class about dark tourism on Halloween, uh, and it was yeah, such a fun time. Awesome. And on that note, <laughs> first one of twenty twenty two, Katie. We will see you on the flippity flop. Bye. Bye.
Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapawak, and Attawandering peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampa. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller.